On this Mother's Day, I want to talk to you maybe, well, I'm not going to say maybe, it's the most important thing I could ever talk about and one of the simplest things I could talk about. I want to talk to you today about God's love for you. You know, in Dallas, I grew up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. When I was a little boy, there was a sheriff in Dallas who was a legend. He was, he'd brought in gangsters back in the day and very tough and big guy. But when he died, he wanted, or before he died, in his funeral, he wanted the song, Jesus Loves Me, to be sung. I thought about that many times. Because no matter what you learn in life, you'll never learn anything greater than the reality that God loves you. And I want to talk about that today. The title of my, my talk is surely not the most, it's not the coolest brand I've ever put on a sermon, but I do think it, it spells out the essence of God's love. I, the title of today's talk is Whatever It Takes, because God will do whatever it takes to reach out to you. What we're going to see in today's talk is that you and I are not all in the same places, and God's love may feel different to, from one person to another person. But it's fitting that we should talk about God's love on Mother's Day because in Isaiah 66 and the 13th verse, the Bible compares God's love to the love of a mother. Scripture says, as a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. But we need to deal with the elephant in the room because whenever we talk about the love of God, there's something that we have to address, and that's estrangement. Moms know about estrangement. I'm guessing today that there are some of you who would wish that there would be people at your table at lunch who won't be there. You would love to have them there, but stuff happens, especially in families. There are misunderstandings. There, there, there is a brokenness sometimes because of events that happen. It could be because of a divorce or because of a tragedy or just because of a misunderstanding. But someone you wish would be at your table today won't be at your table. It's, it's estrangement. And God feels that. The problem that you and I have to recognize before we can understand God's love for us is that all of us are estranged from God. We're born into this world estranged. Through the years of pastoring, I've talked to people about their relationship with God, and I've asked them, do you have a relationship with God, or, or when did that relationship begin? And I've had people say to me, well, I've always had a relationship with God. But that isn't true. It can't be. Because in the book of Romans chapter 3, the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that means that when I was born into this world, on August 25th, 1956, I was born into this world an object of God's love, but I was born estranged from him. Something happened long before I was born. Adam and Eve, the first human being, sinned, and because of their sin, it passed to the whole human race, and I was born with that sin. But I can't blame Adam and Eve because in my 61 years of living, I've screwed up every day of my life. And if sin is what causes us to be estranged from God, then I have to realize that I start out in my situation estranged from him. Someone could say, well, Mark, I don't want to talk about estrangement today. Well, moms know that's the issue, isn't it? We don't talk about estrangement. I've met people before who didn't speak to members of their family, sometimes for 20 years, and they wanted the relationship to be restored. When I met the other person, that person wanted the relationship to, to be restored. But when I would talk to them and ask them, well, why don't you get together? It was like, well, we just don't talk. You know, 
Strange, isn't it? There's all, there are all kinds of estrangements. There, there are the kinds of family estrangement where people don't talk to each other, but then there's also the kind where you do talk together, but you only talk about surface things. You only talk about the weather or sports or stuff that really doesn't matter, but no one, everyone knows that you can't get into the stuff that really matters because of the estrangement. Well, if I've learned one thing about broken relationships being mended, I, I've, I've learned that somebody's got to make the first move. And when you think about the estrangement that you and I have with God, that we're sinners and God is a perfect God and he loves us anyway, what we must understand is that God is always the person who makes the first move. And he makes that move because, well, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, but in 2 Samuel chapter 14 and the 14th verse, the Bible says this about God, all of us must die eventually. Our lives are like water spilled out on the ground which can't be gathered up again. But God does not just sweep life away. Instead, this is one of my favorite lines in the Bible, and it's going to basically summarize this brief talk I'm going to give you this, this morning. He devises ways to bring us back when we have been separated from him. God not only is willing to make the first move, God is up in heaven strategizing about how to bring us back. Maybe it's time for me to say I'm really talking to two people here today, two, two groups of people. I'm talking to those of you who've never had a relationship with God. You may have come in this morning and you may say, Mark, I'm a non-theist, or I'm an agnostic, I'm not sure there's a God, or Mark, I'm spiritual, but I wouldn't consider myself you know, really a person of faith. But you need to know that God is strategizing to reach out to you. Or it could be that you say, Mark, I, I grew up in religion and, and I saw the, the hypocrisy in it. And because of that, I just got away. And there are a lot of things I couldn't understand. I couldn't understand why if there's a loving God, there's evil in the world. And, and that kind of blew me up. And, and I'm here today and I don't think I've ever had a relationship with God, but I'm spiritual and I'm seeking well, I hope in this brief talk I'm going to bring today that something in it resonates with you. And if nothing else, I pray that you begin a, a search or a movement toward God. The second group of people I'm talking to here today are people who do have a relationship with God. But there was a time in your life when you were closer to God than you are today. There was a time when you worshiped and it meant something. But today, when you sang, it was just words and music. There was a time when you read the Bible and it was like Jesus was right there you know, explaining it to you, but now you read it and it's just like eating shredded wheat with no milk and sugar. You know, there was a time when you prayed and you felt the presence of God and you just sensed God's presence, but you just feel like this, there's this estrangement or distance. I want to talk to you today. What I do want you to know is that God always makes the first move. In fact, the most famous verse in the Bible is a verse about God making the first move. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The next verse says that God didn't come into the world to judge the world, but he came into the world to rescue the world. God always makes the first move. So yeah, what have we learned up to now? Let's draw a subtitle. We've learned that we're all sinners. If the Me Too movement's proved anything, it's proven that, hasn't it? Have you looked at some of the scandals in the Me Too movement? I mean, it, it's a healthy thing. It's, we need to have these dialogues. We should have had them years ago. <clears throat> but one of the things that stands out to me is that the people who've been caught up in this movement, whether some are Democrats, some are Republicans, some are liberals, some are conservatives, some are socialists. There are Bible-preaching pastors and leaders of atheist groups. It's interesting, isn't it? We don't talk politics here at New Spring, but if we did, we'd be all over the spectrum. 
Some would be conservative, some would be progressive, some would be socialist. If we talked about sports, some of you would like one sport or another sport or different teams. If we talked about food, we'd be all over the page. We probably couldn't agree on a lot of things here today, but the one thing that brings us all together is we're all sinners. And the second thing, God is strategizing to make the first move. So Jesus came into our world. He was God in skin for 33 years. He came into our world. God walked among people. For the first time, people could talk to God, hear from God, touch God, know what God was thinking in a very personal way. He ran the table for 33 years, never did one thing wrong, laid down on a Roman cross, hung there for six hours. The way God looked at it, the blood that came out of his body was a currency that paid for every dysfunction or everything you've ever done wrong. That's the story of Jesus coming into our world. Now today, I'm going to bring a talk to you from Luke 15. Now what's odd is I'm not going to read any of that chapter. I want to encourage you to read it when you go home. But Luke 15 is one of my favorite chapters because what the Bible tells us in this chapter is that when Jesus came into our world, a lot of people didn't get him. You know, God is strategizing, trying to bring us back to him. He sends his son Jesus into the world. But it was confusing to some people. At the beginning of Luke chapter 15, Jesus is teaching. And there are a couple of groups of people that are so excited about hearing Jesus teach, they're just hanging on every word. You would think, would they be the religious people? No. The Bible tells us in the first two verses of Luke 15 that the sinners and the tax collectors came to hear Jesus. Now let me just give you the context for that. Sinners were all the people that were bad. They knew they were bad. Their next door neighbor knew they were bad. Their mama knew they were bad. Everybody knew they were bad. They did bad stuff. They were sinners. But there was one group of people worse than sinners, and that was tax collectors. If you work for the IRS, I'm not picking on you today. It was just a cultural thing. Rome ruled the world, and Rome wanted nationals to collect taxes, and they didn't care as long as they got their cut. So a lot of the people they would pick would steal and cheat people. But in Israel, it was not a healthy thing because... The Jewish people really resented having their own people collect taxes for Rome. And so consequently, no self-respecting person would be a tax collector. Only the worst of the worst. And so, you know, at least when the sinners woke up in the morning, they had to say, thank God I'm not a tax collector. That's true. But when Jesus came into the world, the interesting thing was it was the sinners and the tax collectors that were just hanging on every word. Here's the deal. If you're estranged from God and you know you're estranged from God and you get the message clearly that God doesn't want to be estranged from you and he's made a way for you to get close in spite of all the things you've done wrong, that's, that's, that's a very welcome message. But there were two groups of people that didn't like Jesus' approach. They were the Pharisees. That was the most religious group of Jesus' day. I mean, they were... <laughs> They were ultra-religious, but in a ticky-tack, hypocritical kind of way. It was, it was the kind of hypocrisy that you've seen in religion, which we make up the rules and we're okay, but if you're not part of our group, you're not okay. So there were the Pharisees, and then there were the teachers of the law, teachers of religion, and they were standing back watching Jesus, and they said, we don't get him because we're the good people, and he's not hanging with us, and those are the bad people, and they're connecting with him, and he's... He's like enjoying it, and we don't understand it. You know, we're the good people, they're the bad people. He hangs with the bad people, therefore he must be a bad person. So if you want to understand Luke chapter 15, you got to know that context. You know, I love this, because they're picking on Jesus, but he doesn't even begin to explain himself. He tells three stories. Now, those three stories are going to be what we're going to talk about briefly today, and then we'll be through. 
He tells the story of a shepherd. He said there was a shepherd. He had a hundred sheep. And one of them wandered away and got lost. And the shepherd left the 99 in the fold, and he went out searching for the one sheep that was lost. And when he found the sheep, Jesus said, he put the, and this is a very tender picture. My wife has a picture of this that she loves very much. He puts the lamb on his shoulders and brings the lamb back home. And then he calls the other shepherds and said, hey, my sheep that wandered away, I found him. Let's get together. Let's party. And then Jesus launches into a second story. He said, there was a woman who had 10 coins. Now, these are, this is not 10 coins like you and I think about 10 coins. In, in these days, the culture was that if a woman wanted to be married, she saved these 10 coins. And when she had the 10th coin, then she could get married and, and by extension, have a family. And then she would wear these 10 coins as, as a crown, basically, for the rest of her life. And a woman had 10 coins, but according to Jesus, she lost one of the coins. And she freaked out because she lost it. And so she, she searched the house until she found the coin. And when she found it, she called her friends and said, come over to the house. The coin that I lost, I found. Let's, let's get together. Let's party. And then he told the third story. I was bivocational in my early 20s, and I actually taught literature, taught English lit in those days. And there are literary scholars who will say that maybe not even people of faith, but there are literary scholars who say the greatest short story of all time is the third story Jesus tells. He said there was a dad who had two boys. He was a successful man. He was a, a farmer. He had a successful farm, well-to-do. But the younger of the boys was a rebel. And he said to his dad, I don't want to wait till you die to get my, to get my, my, my share. By law, he should get one-third of the father's estate upon the father's death. But the boy said, I don't like living here. I don't like the constraints. I don't like the structure of living here. I want my jack now. And so the Bible tells us, Jesus said that the father said, okay. That's rather strange, isn't it? The father said, okay. And, and so he got together all the equities that would represent one-third of his estate, turned them over to the boy. The boy went into a quick sale, probably lost a whole lot of what his dad worked for all those years in that quick sale, turned it into cash, went as far, as, far away as he could go from home, and he just lived his life 24-7 in, in the party world. He slept with prostitutes. It was just, <laughs> man, it was, in modern-day times, we would just say it was a, a drug-filled haze. Getting high, getting stoned. But he ran out of money. And not only did he run out of money, he ran out of money at a bad time because it was a time when there was a famine in the country. And the boy, he, he didn't, I mean, who wants to hire this kid? You want to hire him? I promise you, I would run. I would tell my HR department, run from this kid. Would you? And so he can't get a job. In fact, the only job he can get is a job for another farmer. And the only job he will give him is feeding hogs, and he won't feed the kid. He won't pay the kid. He won't feed the kid. And according to Jesus, one day while he was slopping the hogs, he got so hungry that he almost reached into the trough and took out a handful of slop and ate it. Maybe he had the slop in his hand, and he looked at it. And then a light went off, and he got thinking about it. He said, you know, when I was at home with my dad, 
Man, even the, the hired help, the guys who worked for my dad, the hourly, you know, the minimum wage earners who worked for my dad, they had all the food they can eat and spare. And he thought, I'm going to throw this slop down and I'm going to go back home and I'm going to say to my dad, dad, I'm not worthy to be a son anymore. Just, just, would you just let me hire on? I'll sleep in the bunkhouse. I don't have to sleep in the house. I'll wear the overalls. I don't have to wear the Armani anymore. I'm not expecting anything. I'm not worthy to be your kid. Just hire me. And according, Jesus tells the story in a really visual kind of way because you see this kid, he's going back home, and as he's going back home, he's saying to himself, okay, he's the speech over and over. I'm going to go back home, tell my dad I'm not worthy. Dad, would you hire me? He's like getting it right in his head. But before he can get to his father to deliver the talk, the father sees him coming, and he runs, and he puts his arms around him. And one of my favorite lines in the Bible, the father says, bring, bring out the best. Bring out the best robe. Put it on his shoulders. Bring out the family signet ring that has all the authority associated with a family member. Put it on his hand. And the stalled oxen out in the barn, bring them out. We're going to have barbecue tonight. And that's not in Jesus' story. Just, I'm from Texas. <laughs> 33 years hasn't caused some things to get shaken out. Let's have a party. I want to talk to you tonight or this morning about these three stories. I must have brought talks three or four hundred times from this since I've been preaching. But in my devotions this week, I saw something I've never seen before, and I just felt so compelled to share it with you. Very quickly, there are three similarities with all these stories. Three commonalities. First of all, something or someone is lost. Number two, there's a message of hope. There's hope in all three of these stories. The shepherd finds the sheep. The woman finds the coin. The son returns home. They're messages of hope. And number three, they all end happy. Because although the stories all start with pain, they all end with a party. So there, there are three similarities in all those three stories. But there are differences that I think you and I need to pay attention to today. Because these differences have to do with how God will express his love to you. And if we don't understand the distinction of the way God deals with us, then we may not understand what's going on in our lives right now. Let's take the first story, the lost sheep. You notice it's not a lost dog. Because dogs are smart. You know, dogs, you know, do, sometimes dogs get lost and they find their way back home. There's all kinds of, there are all kinds of stories about that. But sheep, on the other hand, they're not, they're not blessed with natural defenses. They're not blessed with a sense of direction. So think about the sheep who just wanders away from the shepherd and the rest of the fold. He, he may not even realize he's wandering. He's just walking. And he, he doesn't know that he's on the road away from home. And when he's there, he doesn't know the road back to home. He doesn't know for a long time that he's even lost. But one day he wakes up in pain. And he doesn't know how he got there. I just described some of you. You're in pain today. You didn't even know you were lost for a long time. You didn't even know the choices you were making weren't healthy. I always feel the pressure, because New Spring is such a young church, I always feel the pressure to give a generational apology. I'm from the baby boom generation. We were the ones who switched all the signs. 
I mean, our parents taught us the right way, but we, we decided we were going to go our own way. Now, the weird thing about it, now that we're getting older, we're, we're reverting back to our parents' way of thinking and some wisdom, but unfortunately, we left a very painful world for all the rest of you who are younger than we are. And for many of you here today, you just, you didn't even know you were on the wrong road. And now you're walking down that road and, and you just feel like, does anybody know I'm here? Does anybody know I'm alive? This is graduation weekend for a lot of you. I remember when I was 10 years old, my older sister graduated from college. There were only two living siblings in my family. My sister's 12 years older than I, so um, I was only 10 when she graduated from the university, Texas Wesleyan University in Fort Worth. <clears throat> and in those days, not that many people went to college, so all my family gathered at my house to celebrate my sister's <clears throat> graduation. And... Um, the graduation happened at probably about 7 o'clock. It went to about 9.30. And at the end of that, we were all going to gather at my parents' house for a big dinner. <clears throat> my dad's the oldest of nine kids, so there are all kinds of aunts and uncles there. And so at the end of that ceremony, I was riding home with an aunt and an uncle. Another one of my aunts got lost. And my aunt said to me, Mark, you know the campus. Go find your aunt. So I went and looked for her. Couldn't find her. I didn't realize she'd already gone to the house. When I got back, my aunt and uncle that I was supposed to be riding with had gone, left. And I'm left alone in the parking lot. By this time, there are hardly any cars there. And I'm thinking, I've been left behind. <clears throat> but I just know somebody's going to, at home, going to say, hey, where's Mark? Mark's missing. They're going to come find me. So I'm not very smart, but I'm 10 years old. And I think to myself, I'm smart enough to know one thing. I better stay where they left me because that's the place they're going to come back and look for me. And I stood by that empty lamp, that, that lamppost in that empty parking lot for 45 minutes, and nobody showed up. After a while, I realized I've been forgotten. By this time, I'm walking down Rosedale Street in Fort Worth at 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, and I start looking for any place open so that I can make a phone call. No place is open. I don't have any money. I can't use a pay phone. And finally, I get to this little fast food place down the street, and talk the guy into letting me make a phone call. You should have heard my mother's voice when she answered the phone and I told her who I was and where I was. Last year, Mary Alice and I were in Fort Worth and we thought, hey, let's see how far it is from Texas Wesleyan University to that little fast food place. It was a long way. And I think about how I felt that night when I was walking down that road alone, wondering if anybody knew where I was. And that may be you today. You're, you're, you're in a lost, but you didn't know you were getting lost. You, you thought you were just living your life. And you're like, does anyone see me? Does anyone care? Does anyone know? The good news is the shepherd knows. And the Bible teaches us in the story that the shepherd will come and find you. In fact, the very fact that you're here today may be a part of the shepherd reaching out to you and finding you. You know, what's strange is sometimes God pursues us, but we wonder why he's pursuing us or what's really going on. One of my favorite stories, and a true story, is about a woman who was getting into her car late at night, and she was in a parking garage, and there were hardly any other cars there. She was on the top level, with, with, you know, on the top of the garage. And so she got into the car, and as she began to wind her way down through the circular descent in the parking garage, another car 
begin to follow her, and she got out and made a right turn, and that car made a right turn. She made a left turn, the car behind her made a left turn. She sped up, he sped up. She slowed down, he slowed down. It was very clear he was following her. And so the streets by this point were nearly empty, and she floorboarded the thing and pulled into a little service station and jumped out of her car and ran in, and the guy who was behind her stopped behind her car, ran to her back door, jerked her back door open, and pulled a man out of her back seat. The person who was pursuing her had seen a man get into her back seat who turned out to be a serial rapist. Some of you, you sense God is following you. Is he following you to hurt you? He's not following you to hurt you. He loves you. And so some of us are in the situation that we see in the lost sheep. We, we just wandered and didn't know it. And God's love is there. Then the second story I find really interesting. It's, it's the story that speaks to me the most personally in my life. This is a woman who loses her coin, and she frankly loses it because she is careless. Now, in those days, as I shared with you a few moments ago, for a woman to have these 10 coins meant she was serious about life. And there's no sense about applying today's culture to those times. This was a story from those times. It, it applies to men, too. But frankly, the woman lost the coin because she was careless. She was careless with destiny. She had other things on her mind. Do you notice that God's response is completely different from the first story? The shepherd doesn't come over to her house and find the coin for her. The woman is going to have to search. I really think that this point may hit more of us than anybody else because we live in a world today in which we are so distracted we have all the electronic devices. We have 500 channels on our televisions. We don't even, a lot of us don't even get cable service anymore. We can just select by choice anything we want to watch. And beyond that, there's always someone trying to reach us or someone trying to talk to us. We live in a very cluttered age. And because of that, there are those of us who know about God. We've been told about God. We know facts about God. Some of us could even tell other people about God. And from time we drift toward God, But there's an estrangement because, quite frankly, we're careless with that relationship. And someone could say, well, Mark, it can't be that serious. Well, in Proverbs 1, verse 32, the Bible says your own complacency will kill you. So how does God express love to us when we're careless? <clears throat> well, one more time, he's not going to send the shepherd over to find your coin. You're going to have to search. You know, when I read this this week, I was impressed with there were three things that this woman did in order to find her coin, and they're really salient to your life and my life. The first thing that she did was, uh, Jesus said, won't she light a light or light a lamp and then sweep the house and then search carefully? What do those three things mean in your life and my life? Well, lighting a light, that's honesty. Hey, guys, you know in the morning when you think you've shaved, you think you shave real close? Then you get in your car and you open the sunroof on your way to work and the sun comes through and you look in the mirror and you think, I don't think I shaved at all. It's because of light. <clears throat> light shows us what's there. So the first thing that she did was she got honest about the situation. And secondly, and this is the one that God is really talking to Mark about, she swept the house. She got rid of the clutter. A lot of us don't have a close relationship with God because our lives are so filled with clutter. You know, the weird thing about this is it, it's even more than just our relationship with God. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to 
guys who were, you know, didn't even realize their marriage was in trouble until one day, but their life is so cluttered, they couldn't realize there were telltale signs. Their parents who were getting estranged from their kids, and it's sort of like day goes by, a week, month goes by, and all of a sudden something happens, and they realize they've got a real problem with their kids, but their issue is the light is low, and there's, their lives are filled with clutter. And so Jesus said, first thing you do is you get honest, and then you sweep the house, you get rid of the clutter, and finally, he said, you search carefully. That means to focus on God. Strange. When you get your focus to the place where you are searching for someone, all the distractions disappear. Parents, let me talk to you for a minute, especially parents of small children. You ever misplace one of your kids at the mall? Maybe your six-year-old. Like, oh, he was just right here a minute ago. And and you're there shopping, and you're there, you know, it's like you're looking for something. But, wow, all of a sudden, when you start searching for that kid, you don't see anything else. I mean, there could be a 90% off sale sign. You don't even see that. You're looking for your kid. You know, there, there, there could be a show window, you know, a store window with all kinds of cool stuff in there. You don't pay any attention. Why? Because you've gotten to the place where you're looking for one person. And God is saying, that's what I want you to do. Someone will say, well, Mark, that doesn't sound like love. You said you were going to talk about God's love. I mean, so if God is saying, hey, you're distracted, so you're going to have to search, that doesn't sound like love. Hey, before you think that, hear this verse. In Jeremiah 29, 13, God says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. And now verse 14 has got to be one of the strangest statements ever in English. He said, I will be found by you. That is a statement. Because God has said, you search, but suddenly God is the subject of the sentence. God is saying, if you search for me, I will make sure you find me. I will be found by you. Parents, you ever play hide and seek with your toddler? You don't hide so that he can't, you can't be found, but you hide where you can be found. And then finally, here's the third thing, and we'll be finished. The lost son. The son is different from the sheep. The sheep didn't know anything, but the son knows it all. He knows who the father is. He knows the way away. He knows the way back. And then to tell him to search would be ridiculous because he knows where the father is. His situation is just clear-cut rebellion. Sometime in his life, he just decided, I want to live life on my own terms. I want to do what I want to do. I want to do what is right for me is right for me. It may be right for other, things may be right for other people, but what is right for me is right for me. And I'm going to do what I want to do. God, I'll wave at you, but I'm not using all my fingers. Well, the father's not going to go get him. You know, I'm talking to somebody here today, and you're rebelling against God, and you're like, well, if God comes and gets me and puts me on his shoulder and brings me back, then, then that's cool, but he isn't going to do that, and there's no sense waiting for that. And someone will say, well, you know, I'm, I'm, and this is the one that just, I, it, it just terrifies me so much. There are people that say, that they, 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 they decide they're going to do things that God has clearly said is wrong, and then they'll, they'll try to say, well, I'm on a search. You're not on a search. You've run away. I mean, the prodigal knows. He knows the father. He knows the way away. He knows the way home. The father's not going to come get him because if he did, everybody who's tried to rescue a rebel knows what's going to happen. He's going to go right back. And the idea of searching is ridiculous. So how does God express love? 
Well, here's the simple answer. If I rebel against God, God has to let me get sick of the choices I've made. Listen to this. In Proverbs 13, verse 15, the Bible says, the way of the unfaithful is hard. For every person who rebels against God, God is saying, your life is hard. And that's true. I've rebelled against God. And I can tell you, it's hard. People think sometimes it's hard being a Christ follower. Hey, that's nothing. Running from God, that's what's hard. And then the Bible says in Proverbs 1, verse 31, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. Basically, God is saying, Mark, if you rebel against me, you have, you're gonna, I'm going to let you get sick of your choices. You say you want your choices, God is saying, Mark, I'm going to let you get sick of those. We read the story, we talked about the story a few moments ago. The prodigal said to himself, I'm starving. I'm going to go back home. I'm hungry. I'm going to tell my father I've done wrong. Has it crossed your mind that when the young man came home, he didn't find a posse, he found a party? So today, I don't know where this message finds you. It could be that you're here and you say, Mark, I, I'm kind of lost right now, but I didn't, didn't mean to get lost. I, I just... No one ever told me. The signs were switched, and, and I believe stuff that wasn't true, and I believe things that people told me, and, and I'm, I'm here. I want you to know that God loves you very much, and he will do whatever it takes to get to you. And for us 21st century Americans who are so distracted that we have a hard time finishing a sentence, for those of us Americans who are so distracted that we can be at a table with our family and we don't even talk to them because we all have our smartphones out. I mean, isn't it strange? We fill our lives with information and yet we know less of what's really important than probably any generation before us. God is saying, in love, you're going to have to look. You're going to have to turn on the light and see what's there, and you're going to have to sweep the clutter and focus and seek me. And God said, if you do, I'll be found of you. And if I'm talking to a rebel today, just come home. Just come home. You won't face a posse. You'll face a party. Come home. God loves you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this talk that you've given us through your word. I pray that you'll help me to hear your word today. Father, I need this. And I pray that you'll reach each person in their place of need and that they'll recognize that you love every person here, every person watching online. And Father, if I'm talking to a believer here today who has wandered away or rebelled or just gotten too busy, I pray that you'll help them to come back to you and Lord, if there's anyone here today who's never had a relationship with you, may that happen now in Jesus' name. Would you just bow your head with me, please, one more moment. If you're here today and you say, Mark, I've never had a relationship with God, the great thing about that is all you have to do is ask. God's not saying join a church, do community service. He's not saying go through rituals. He's just saying ask. Ask him. Romans 10 verse 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you would ask him, you would have a relationship with him that would last forever and nothing, no one could ever take it away from you. It is a gift. 
So if you want to ask him, I'll, I'll pray a prayer with you. And these are not magic words, but these are words that ask. And I'll pray each line slowly so that you can decide if you want to own these lines and say them to God. You ready? Here we go. Dear God, I am a sinner, but I believe you love me anyway. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. Would you forgive me and make me your child? In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer with me, there's, there are places all over the campus. It'll say Info Center. And if you just say, I pray with Mark, they'll give you a gift bag. It has a Bible just like I preach from, a book I wrote, some other cool stuff. Won't cost you anything. Just say, I pray with Mark. Thanks for being here. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs>